Hi, everybody. Welcome to another edition of Unmasked. I am your host, Neil Getzlow. Thank you so much for tuning in this week. And we are at episode number 18. Yes, 18 is a good number. And uh, I'm joined this week, as always, with my producer, Ben Shrewsbury. And Ben, we've got, I think this is going to be one of one of our better shows. I always it, say that, but it, it is. It definitely is. And it's funny that you say always because I haven't been in like the last two intros. <laughs> <laughs> well you're there well i'm i'm there but yeah yeah well let's just uh let's just get into tonight's topic we are joined by jake gutierrez and for those of you that are in and around the kansas city area you might know jake as the producer behind the wildly successful sports talk radio show the border patrol with steven st john and nate bucati on 810 whb one of probably one of the best sports radio morning radio shows in the history of the city. And while Jake's name wasn't in lights and wasn't on the marquee, he was an important player on that team. And just that people loved listen and still love listening to that show because it is such a family and uh, environment. Those three guys were like brothers. And so that's why when I was shocked earlier this year, back in February, when I was listening randomly to a Stephen St. John podcast where Jake announced he was leaving the show. And it was, it was a very intense conversation that Stephen and Jake had. And you could tell there was some real hurt there why Jake was leaving, but uh, Jake got called by a higher power. And as quickly as he told 810 that he was leaving, he was off to Colorado to find himself, to find more direction from God about what, what God wanted him to do in his life. And, and Jake's on a mission to help others in their journey against addictions, alcoholism, and just improving mental health overall. And so I'm just incredibly blessed and, and humbled that Jake take, uh, is taking some time to talk with us from Colorado, no less, somewhere in the mountains of Colorado. So uh, I won't keep you waiting. Let's unmask the journey of Jake Gutierrez. Jake, thank you so much for uh, coming on this week's episode of Unmasked. Uh, this is an honor for me uh, to be talking to you. So thank you so much. Absolutely. I really appreciate you having me on as a guest. I'm really looking forward to it. And, uh, you know, as we went back and forth on Twitter, when you first reached out to me, I've, uh, I dove into a little bit about your story and, and consumed quite a few of your podcasts. So, uh, I've become a fan and, uh, oh, cool. you know, I admire you and your journey and your, your message is one that I, I really admire and it needs to get out there. And, um, I, I couldn't support you more because I know that, uh, it's something that doesn't go talked about enough, um, in, in the arena that we live in, in the society that we live in, in the world that we live in today and men stepping up and, and, and really facing, um, what's, you know, always been deemed in our society as taboo, uh, always kind of looked at, looked at the other way in, in any regards. Um, but, but especially now and today where, you know, there, there are a lot deeper things in play in, in what happens to us as men and in, in our culture and our society. Um, and so I just really wanted to first say, uh, I appreciate your mission. I, I really respect, um, your message and what got you to start this podcast. And, uh, and I can't, I haven't been able to read your book yet, but I look forward to picking that up soon. 
Well, thank you. I, I appreciate you saying that. That that means a lot. And I know, you know, I followed what God was speaking to me. And that's how, you know, I've I've kind of found this new life for me. And that's really where that's why I'm so like so interested in talking to you because um for our audience that doesn't know, Jake was the producer of a highly successful radio show, the Border Patrol on Sports Radio 810 in Kansas City. One, I don't know, I don't want to be overly, um, you know, speak on this, but it was probably one of the most successful sports talk shows in the history of, of Kansas City. And it was something that I had listened to for a long time. And, um, and so then when I heard the news that you were leaving the show, and then I, I had to understand why. So I stumbled across um, the host of the show, I stumbled across his podcast which we'll link to in the show notes so everyone can, can kind of check that out. Um, but I saw that show and it just, it just blew my mind as to why you decided to walk away from, from that job, which is, as we talked about before we started rolling, like that is a dream job probably for almost every dude out there, myself included. I grew up wanting to be a sports broadcaster, wanting to be, um, want to be living, you know, my job, I wanted to be sports. And um, it was just, uh, that's, that's what I, I went to school for. Now I, I gave up on that dream, probably too quickly. But, um, you know, so I, that's kind of where I want to start is, I mean, you spent what, 20 years there? What I mean, just short of yeah, yeah. Gosh, uh, yeah, so I, I the, the story, I'll just, you know, I'll yeah. start out. I, uh, I went to Western Illinois University and, and uh, changed my major about six times. And, uh, and then finally, you know, I played soccer there on a division one scholarship. And, um, and by your third year, you have to have a, a certain percentage of your major completed. And I was, I was cruising up on my, my junior year and I had changed my major. And my mom finally was like, you're gonna lose your scholarship, Jacob. Uh, what do you want to do? What do you like? And I was like, well, I love sports radio. Cause you know, in the summer times, my father owned a, uh, Mexican wholesale food company in Kansas city called arts Mexican products. And I drive around and, and take deliveries around the city and listen to sports radio all, all summer long. And, and so that was kind of my answer. I was like, well, I love listening to sports talk radio. And she's like, there, go, go do that. And so, um, yeah, I changed my major to communications, which a lot of my other credits had, had filled into that, that requirements and then minored in broadcasting. And, and so, uh, played soccer there for four years and then came out, um, and, you know, we went back to work with my dad as I looked for a job in, in the Kansas City area and, and, and it really any type of media. And then finally, in August of 2002, after bugging Stephen St. John, who's now the host of the Border Patrol, as you mentioned, uh, the podcast Hot Mike that you saw me on talking about my final days at WHB, um, I kept bugging him, finally got an internship on, uh, on Jason Whitlock, former Kansas City Star columnist. Right. Uh, yes. he, he had a show called Jason Whitlock's Neighborhood and Stephen St. John was his uh, co-host. And so I interned for, for Jason and Stephen. Um, you know, I did that all the fall of, of 02 into the winter of 02 and then got hired on part-time in the spring of 03. Uh, and then Jason left and went to a competing radio station. And, um, and so I stuck around there part-time and, and they hired a guy named John Renshaw who the freak. Me, the freak show. Yeah. So <laughs> that was, 
that was the first radio show I produced on WHB. Uh, then they hired me on full-time July of 03. Um, and I really didn't look back. Um, and so I was there uh, as an intern and, in, you know, 02 into, into 03 and then hired part-time and then again, full-time from 03 until last February, uh, mid-February. So I was there for almost 20 years, um, which is, it's amazing because time just certainly it doesn't stop for any man and it certainly doesn't stop for me so um and now you know I started that job when I was 23 years old or 22 um and, you know and I, I left it when I was 42 so uh crazy crazy to think about um but yeah I was 22 when I started that internship and so I, I really don't know what uh what a job interview looks like or what <laughs> real world work looks like. Because as you mentioned, it, it was a dream job. It still is. Um, it's just that, um, you know, uh, you know, I, I, we can get deeper into this, but, you know, um, you know, I, I just, my life had drastically changed. You know, I, I grew up, you know, a lot of Kansas city <laughs> got to listen to me grow up, you know, yeah, from a, right. from a kid with a horrible lisp who, who couldn't talk on the radio and got nervous and, and, and tried not to turn his microphone on this much. And I was really, I, I really enjoyed, you know, what Ben does behind the scenes. That was, that was really, I was great with just doing that. And, 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 and you know, it kind of just turned into, um, me being a third wheel on, on Steven and, and Nate's show, the board patrol. And then I just kind of, they brought me in as a voice and I was very honored to, those guys are two brilliant men. Um, and it was such an honor to, to work with them. And, and really everybody at WHBA can't say enough for union broadcasting and that company. They just, uh, in the world that we live in, uh, in, in media today, um, a locally owned media station of any type is, is such a uh, rarity nowadays. You know, there's, you know, we don't need to get, get too deep into the weeds, yeah. but there's, there's, there's six conglomerates that own pretty much everything you see or read or hear, you know, um, 92%, I believe is owned by those six entities. So um, backing up just to, to say about union broadcasting it was a fantastic place to work and the men and women that work there are top notch and, and my boss Chad Boger who's the president and owner of the company um, great guy uh, I was honored to work for him and you know he, he, he was uh, he was moved by my, me leaving it was a little bit of a stunner to everybody but he you know he was in full support once he heard my story and what I was doing and what I needed to go do um you know and he even opened the door up if I ever wanted to get back in the media he told me to make sure I gave him a call first and uh you know uh so that was that was a very touching uh note and it, it felt good you know that felt good to know that my job there was appreciated and, and the work I did there um you know, uh, I, I really had no idea the impact of, on people I, I, the three of us in that show had until, uh, you know, the final just leaving just the, the outpour of uh, support and, uh, and accolades that I received well beyond what I probably deserved. So, um, yeah, that, 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 like you said, any guy's dream job, I got paid to watch sports for 20 years. And so, um, <laughs> well, I, and I will say, like Neil, not to cut you off, Jacob, not to butt in here, but sports talk radio was my dream job for a long time. So, hearing you talk about this, you know, I've wanted to do this producer thing forever. So, hats off to you for doing it for as long as you did. I only hope to have as much success as you do, or have had, 
Bye. I appreciate that, man. I, I mean, it, it's, uh, don't give up on it. it. It's something that, you know, it'll always be a part of me. Um, and it, it honestly, it, and this kind of maybe transitioned us into it a little bit with that question, Ben, or that the comment was, it's like, I literally, I, I could have done that for the rest of my life. I really could have, um, and, and had a happy life and, and had a good, good life. Um, but, you know, I think I can't remember who it might have been Abraham Lincoln who said that, you know, uh, good is the, the biggest enemy of the best. Um, and so, you know, I, having a good life to me today is it, it's, it's what everybody wants, but I want the best life, man. <laughs> and uh, and I think doing what, what I'm going in to do now is going to provide that. Um, and, and look, you only live one life. Um, you know, we only got one chance at this thing. Nobody gets out alive. So, uh, you know, I, 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 I don't live with regret today because I believe that everything that happens to me has, has a reason and a purpose. And there's, there's always, uh, I don't believe in the word coincidence. There's no such thing in my vocabulary. Um, but you know, just what I was, what I was getting and where I was going. Um, like I said, I could have retired in 15 years, had a great life, lived in the suburbs of Kansas city where I grew up, you know, I, was living 15 minutes away from the home I grew up in and it was a good life. Um, but I, I, I felt called to, um, you know, my purpose, um, had just become something other than producing a sports talk radio show. Yeah. Cause I, as I, uh, watched the hot mic show again, in which I would, and I, I will just say like, and this is why it was so impactful for me. And this is why this, this, the border patrol show is such a, a success in Kansas city and in Kansas city and Midwestern city, you know, very small town feel big city still. But I think that's why everybody connects with you guys, because you were very real on the air, all three of you together. You were very much like a family. Um, you know, you spent four hours a day with each other and probably more than that. And when it comes to preparation and, covering the games and things like that, you know, but we spent the time with you while you were on the air, but it, it's like, you know, we, we lived with you guys, right? We invited you into our cars on the drive to work every day. And it's just, um, you know, so you had a, you had a giant impact and you could see, you could see that emotion. Like that's what struck me when you and Steven were talking about your decision to leave WHB, the raw emotion that was on display. And it was just like, I mean, I could feel the pain from all of you. And it was, um, I appreciate all of you being that open and candid about it. And I, I remember I took a note on this. You know, I remember you said, how many people do the easy thing in life for them when they know, um, you know, what the right thing is? And you definitely did not take the easy path going forward. So what, you know, kind of what led you to make a decision to, to leave the radio station? Um, you know, it's a good question. Um, there were, there were a lot of things that, that led to it and there wasn't just one, one determining factor, but I'll maybe go down this route. You know, I, um, I, I started doing a lot of service work. Um, yeah, I started doing some, uh, I did a lot of volunteer work for Kansas City Hospice um, and sitting with uh, dying cancer patients and, and um, 
you know, it's not a secret that I, I'm a sober man today. Uh, I've been sober since 2014. And, um, and, and I do a lot of work within a fellowship, um, helping others. And, you know, my weight story, <laughs> it's, you can go down the line. Um, you know, I lost both. I lost my mom at 27. I lost my mom, my dad at 31, both of cancer. Um, you know, uh, I was a college athlete that played soccer at about 195, 205 pounds. Uh, by the year 2013, I ate a 75 ounce steak at Justin Gyms and then stepped on the scale two days later. And I was 374 pounds, uh, diagnosed with type two diabetes, um, you know, alcoholism, uh, any drug that didn't take a needle I've done, um, it, 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 whatever <laughs> I've, 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 I've run the gamut. Uh, I've, I've lived a full 42 years on this planet. Um, and that was the thing, uh, at several different points in time, uh, that was not going to be the case. Um, the biggest convincing factor for me to change was the absolute, uh, <laughs> the absolute certainty that, uh, I wasn't going to see 40 the way I was living by the time I got to 33, when I weighed 374 pounds, full-blown alcoholic, uh, living a very unprincipled life, not happy. Uh, didn't really, uh, you know, I battle suicidal depression. It's still something that, that I battle today. Um, it, it just, I, I, I wasn't able, um, and, and I hope this doesn't come off right and uh, wrong. I, I want to make sure I'm not insensitive to this because, you know, I, I do have a dear friend who took his own life in, in 2017. So, um, Suicide is a giant, giant issue. Uh, it's not talked about enough. Um, it's mm -hmm. a real problem. It's a real big problem. Um, and there's so much uh, negative uh, connotation that goes with it for, for probably the right reasons. I don't know. Um, I'm not, you know, my, God only put a little tiny brain in my head and, I, and there's only so much that I know and can figure out. Uh, but what I can do is I can share my experience. Um, and so the fact of the matter is that I didn't want to live anymore, but I was too big of a coward to pull the trigger. Um, and so my, my way out was uh, drugs, alcohol, booze, anything, you know, uh, gambling, women, uh, you, know, any, you know, anything. I've heard you talk about it, Neil, anything yeah. to fill that hole up, you know, to make yeah. myself feel whole. Uh, and, and everything I was dumping into that hole was killing me. Um, so, so to go full circle to your question, and I didn't mean to spurn all the way out there. Oh, your, no. <laughs> what led, led me to, to leave WHB is that I started doing work helping others, right? And that started filling my cup up. Um, you know, before, like we're talking about, you know, Ben, you know, Neil, sports was awesome. And that's what used to fill my cup up. Absolutely. I, I, I still have a, a, a great love for sports. I grew up with them, um, you know, but it got to be a point in time in my life that sports stopped filling up my cup and helping others started filling my cup up. Uh, and, and it's something that I had to wrestle with a little bit in terms of, you know, because what I was doing was a vocation, right? What I was doing for WHB was my profession. What I was doing outside of WHB, helping other people in different ways, um, and, you know, uh, that was filling my cup up and that was making me happy. And it's not like going to that job was making me unhappy. Uh, it's just that I found the greatest satisfaction in my life by doing those, those things, helping people struggling, you know, 
uh, with their weight, whether it be, you know, with drinking, whether it be, you know, like I said, there's, I, I learned the really hard way that I have a innate ability that God gave me to, um, to sit with sick people, to sit with people who are dying. Uh, cause I did it with both my parents. Um, and it was not easy. Um, but it, it, it was a gift that God gave me, um, to be there and sit with somebody into their transition, their final days of their life and be able to look at them and, and, and just be present with them and not see the sickness and not feel sorry for them and, and just look at them. You know, uh, one of my heroes and my great teachers in life, Ram Das is, is, uh, I went and met him in 2018. Uh, and, and I want to say this also before I get too far out, uh, Anything outside of my own personal experience that I share here with, with you guys on this podcast, it is not original, okay? My own life experience, that's the only thing that I have original, but everything I share, I've, I've acquired that knowledge through people who I admire in life, and I consume, I, I, I consume a lot of books, you know, I'm about to mention Ram Dass and, and Alan Watts and Dr. Wayne Dyer, and even to the realm of David Goggins and, and Jocko Willick. And, um, you know, just down the line, I got to a point in time where I became a seeker, right? And it definitely came after I, I got sober because I had to stop seeking booze and I had to start seeking, uh, you know, uh, joy. How do I make myself content uh, in life? Because the only thing I used to know that made me content uh, would be alcohol because it was an immediate change of my personality because it would I didn't like the way I felt I drank and that changed right and so that was taken away from me in 2014 and I just I had to start growing uh and it's only by the grace of God and 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 I'll say this that um you know I'll say the word God a lot and, and um and the greatest thing that I've been given through uh my 12-step fellowship is a God of my own understanding. And so when I say the word God, the beautiful thing that I have created today is a relationship with that entity called God. Uh, and the only, the only reason I say God is because I haven't found a word that's shorter yet. Um, but the thing is that when I say the word God, there's not another soul in this universe that knows what I mean. It's my God. It's a God that's it's unique and individual to me. Um, I grew up Catholic. I have a profound... Uh, respect for Catholicism and the, the Catholic upbringing that I have. Uh, I still go to church occasionally. Um, but uh, I, I, f I found out in 2014 into 2015 that there is a enormous, it's just a gigantic difference that I didn't know about, that there is a difference between religion and spirituality, two totally different things. And look, my philosophy is this, uh, I respect every person's individual right to do what they need to do for them. And so my belief on any type of organized religion for an individual is if you go into that practice, right? You go into that religion, whatever that is, you know, whatever you as an individual decides best for you, you go into that practice, you do that practice, whatever you do, whether it's church or temple or whatever, you know, whatever it may be. You go into that practice and you come out and you put good into this world. Well, yes, keep doing that. What I do not have time for are people who say they're religious. They go 
into their practice, they do their practice and they go out and, and they, and they're bad people and they do bad things to people and they don't treat people the right way. And then they just say, it's okay. Cause I go to church. I don't have, I don't have time for that. And, 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 and I don't waste my energy on telling people that, that that's wrong. I just, I don't have time for it. I do have time for anything that helps put more good into this world. That's what I have time for. Cause that's what we are severely lacking right now. So whatever it is, you know, when people ask me, what, what, are, what religion are you? And I have a, a great answer that I stole from my, my, my teacher, Ram Das. I'm a Hindu, Buddhist, Jew, Sufi, Christ lover, you know, all of them. You know, and I mean, none of them. And and I love listening to you talk about this journey because it does. Again, we're not we're not on the same journey, but it it, it does overlap, and there are some some commonalities. And and I this because and you know what, there are a lot of hypocrites, there are a lot of religious hypocrites out there. I don't I don't have any problem saying that people in the name of God doing things that are hateful and wrong and and are devoid of any sort of love and forgiveness. Um, I agree with you. I don't have time for that. Um, and it's, you know, and I, 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 like, you can call me whatever you want. I think people would probably would call, look at me and my, look at my Twitter feed and listen to my podcast and call me a Christian. And I'm totally okay with that. It, but it is, it is, I love what you said for, with you, for you, it's religion versus spirituality. And for, for me, it's, it's religion versus a relationship. I've got a relationship with my God. And I've got a relationship with Jesus. And that is much different than going through the rituals of, of what you might do in church on every Sunday. And I, I do go to church every Sunday, but as, as my pastor says, like the building, there's nothing special about the building. Yeah, it's right. just a building. Like what makes it special are the people inside. That is the church. A community. Yeah, man. I yeah. Mean, the, the reality is that there's only one place that you can find God in this universe, and that's inside. That's inside you. <laughs> As like, an you individual. Said, like, like you said, it's in your heart. That, yeah. it's, it, it's in your heart. It is a heart change. Yeah. And, you know, and, and, and so where I was going with that is, you know, I, I, Ram Das, I learned a lot about him talking about, you know, uh, meeting people on a soul aspect. And that's what I was doing with hospice. And that's what I was, I was doing uh, that kind of stuff. And, and, and that was filling my cup up. And, and, and so, you know, I had to start reexamining how I spent my time and where I was spending my time and, and my energy, because, you know, I, I believe that every morning I wake up, I have an energy meter and it's filled at a hundred percent and I get to decide uh, by the end of the day, I want that meter at zero. And uh, I, I want to dictate where that energy is spent. And uh, I don't want to allow others to, steal that energy from me and I don't want to waste it on things that don't need to be wasted on. And, and so, um, you know, that's kind of how I, that's where I was going in my journey. And, um, and it, and it got to a point in time where I, I feel that uh, God put me through all those things that I mentioned earlier, all those, you know, I, I don't even use the word bad, um, you know, because they're not, they're, they're absolutely my biggest assets now right? Like I, it, it's hard for people to understand, um, you know, because I losing both your parents at 31 is, is hard to imagine for a lot of people who haven't been through that. But I would like that the reality is it's like that had to happen that way. There was no other way for it to happen for me to be the person I am today. 
Um, and so it's like, even if a genie came, you know, Aladdin's genie came out and, and he's like, here, you get three wishes. Like, no, I'm, I'm not, I'm not wishing to change anything that's happened to me in my past because my past has now become my greatest asset. It has created the man that I am today. It's created that contrast that I've been able to work through that in several different aspects, I'm such a stubborn, hard-headed person that it pushed me to looking death in the eyes. And that had to be the greatest persuader. You know, most people don't have to get there. I have an extreme yeah. personality on several different levels. Um, I've had to look at that and say, okay, well, here's my option. I either change or I'm going to die. Those are your options. This, the, 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 by the grace of God, am I here? But there's a lot of people who, who say, okay, I guess, I guess I'm just going to die. Um, sadly, in, in, in the world that we live in today. And, and, you know, um, you know, what I come to learn is, you know, something that Buddha said that, you know, the only thing that makes you unhappy are your own thoughts. So change them. Um, and that's, that's what I had to get, um, you know, because I, I do, I do live with, um, I do live with a, an illness, a deadly illness every day. And that's my alcoholism. And that alcoholism, uh, it, it, I had to find God to, 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 cure. I'll never be cured, but to have a, you know, a reprieve on a daily basis, I have to wake up and I have to get connected to a higher power because when it comes to Jake versus alcohol, I'm powerless. I am absolutely powerless. And, and so a lot of people, and I didn't even understand that. Okay. So, and I, if you don't mind, I'm gonna take up just a second to talk about alcoholism because, yes. uh, my my uncle died at 40, 43 cirrhosis of the liver. Um, my grandfather was an alcoholic. My father was an alcoholic, um, and so I come from a long line of alcoholics. Now I I don't know what the you know if it's a hereditary thing or not. Uh, I, I think there's I'm not a scientist and I don't know genetics, um, but I think that's why alcoholism is such a crazy disease because I think it's something that like me that I was born with. Or it's something that you can drink yourself into. You can drink so much alcohol that your body will become dependent upon it and you will die if you do not get it. You will have tremors, you will have DT, uh, DTs, and you will go through withdrawals that will kill you. So you can drink yourself into alcoholism. And me and, and my belief, um, I believe I was born with it. Um, I just drank different than everybody. Um, I, I was a lot of fun until I wasn't, you know, uh, and I had a lot of fun drinking, you know, until I started drinking. And this is, I think, a, a delinear marker that that it, it, you can't go back from this point. But once I started using alcohol for my solution, that's when I became alcoholic. I think I always drank alcoholically, but I think there's a point in time I, I became an alcoholic. And that's when I, I started drinking for a solution in my life um, because it's an illness of the mind and body. You know, my body does not process alcohol like a normal person. Uh, my, most people will have three or four drinks and then their body will tell them that's enough. Either, you know, they get sick or they start spinning or they just know, wow, I've had too much to drink. I'm going to stop. My body didn't have that. It wants more. It wants my fifth drink more than my fourth drink. It wants my ninth drink more than my eighth. It creates a, create, a craving in my body. 
that is not satisfied ever. Um, and, and so, you know, I had to understand that I'm a very willful person, like, like extremely willful. Um, and in my life, there has never been anything that I've asserted my will at that I haven't at least made movement or accomplished what I was trying to will myself to do, right? Um, whether it be a freshman in high school working my butt off to make the varsity soccer team, um, whether it be working my butt off to will myself to get a Division One soccer scholarship, uh, even even on the uh, on the converse on the outside of my alcoholism, I'm a willful person. I, I willed myself to lose 175 pounds, right? So my will is very powerful. It's very strong. And the only thing that I have found on planet earth that I've asserted my will at that didn't work was alcohol. Because I honestly, I tried really hard not to drink many thousands of times. Right. And, and, and that's, what's so baffling about people because alcoholism is a family disease. It affects every person that loves that alcoholic and it's a family disease. And I saw it I saw it firsthand with my father and I saw it with my uncle. And then I saw it on the converse as the alcoholic. Um, but it didn't make any sense in my sickness when I was deep in my sickness, why everybody cared so much. Why do you care? I'm only hurting me. Why do you care? Um, uh, but I didn't understand that me hurting myself was hurting them. That's how selfish and self-centered I'd become. Um, and so going back to my will, I'd, I, I, I had that will is absolutely worthless against alcohol. So I am powerless against alcohol. Um, and so what I have to do, well, I had to find a power that could work against alcohol. And that power is, you know, whatever you want to call it. It's, I call it God, higher power, uh, you know, Buddha, Allah, Christ, whatever you want to call it. Uh, the entity that I call God is the only thing that keeps me sober, you know, and it's, it's like I'm coming up on eight years of sobriety and, and a lot of people around me, you know, they'll be like, man, that's amazing. You, you, that is amazing that you did that. And it's like, I can never take credit for that. I will never take credit for that because I can't do it. I've tried over and over and over again. I can't do it. I say thank you, but it's only by the grace of God that I'm sober. God is the only reason I'm sober today. Yeah. And I feel the same way that God broke me free from the addictions that I had from in an extent. And, and there's, uh, there's so many, <laughs> just like, there's just so many different layers. I want to avenues. I want to go down with you. Uh, I do want to go back and talk about this idea of this whole hole in your heart that you're trying to fill up because, you know, obviously alcohol for you was, was a big part of that. I mean, like, how old are you when you started drinking? I mean, was there something that like, uh, um, you know, I try to, I don't, I don't think I consider myself an alcoholic, but I did really, I got drunk a lot and did some really dumb things drinking. Yeah. I mean, that here, like, and this is when I, when I work with people, cause there are a lot of people who come up to me and be like, man, I need to quit drinking. And so, you know, Neil, I, I, the thing is that I can't diagnose anybody else except for me. So I will, I will never for the rest of my life, because now I understand alcoholism. Now I understand what an alcoholic is. Before, I didn't know what that meant. Because when I was in my heaviest cups and my, my deepest drinking, 
know, I had, I never got fired from 810 because of my drinking. I showed up to work every day. I had a 401k. I had insurance. I didn't drink before noon. You know, I, you know, I, I had basically just kept adjusting what the definition of an alcoholic was until it was a homeless guy underneath the bridge drinking wine out of a bag. That's what an alcoholic is, right? Because that's not me, right? But what I, what I, what I had come to learn it, it has nothing to do. Like there are people that drink every day that aren't alcoholic. You know, it has nothing to do with, with how you drink or how much you drink. It has to do with why you drink. Right. Yeah. And, 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 and so I, I, you know, Neil, like I said, I can't, I can't classify you as an alcoholic or non-alcoholic. This is what I will say from my experience is that it sounds like you had a drinking problem. I would say so. Yeah. And then you addressed your drinking problem and you solved your drinking problem. And then now you can, you know, you don't need to, to, you know, do any maintenance or, or anything in terms of, of an illness of alcoholism. Me is that I don't have a drinking problem. I'm an alcoholic. I, I will always have alcoholism. I can never drink safely ever again. And, and you know, it, it's because I couldn't just stop. I try to solve my problems many times, you know, and there's like, there's, there's, there's markers in my life that, because that's the, that's the crazy thing about alcoholism. Like there'll still be thoughts on random times. And I never know when they come, right. That a thought in my mind will cross my mind would be like, huh. Maybe I should, maybe I could have a drink and be okay. That's my alcoholism, right? Because all the evidence supports that I can't drink safely. And I'll share, I'll share a story with you um, in 2008, right? And the, like, so these are the things that I have to go to when those thoughts cross my mind, because that's a deadly thought. And I see it kill alcoholics all the time, right? I have a daily reprieve from alcohol based on my spiritual fitness. That's what I have based on, 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 on the maintenance of my spiritual condition. I get to not drink today because I maintenance my spiritual condition. Right. And, and, and I'll tell you what that looks like on a daily basis here in a little bit after I share the story with you about 2008. So my mom had just passed away, uh, New Year's Eve, 2007. Um, and this is, um, I want to say this was August or September of 2008. And my mom was on me all the time. She never called me alcoholic, but she, she knew my, my, my father did get sober for a good period of time. And then she saw him, she was close with my uncle and saw him drink himself to death. She never called me an alcoholic, but she would say to me that uh, if you keep drinking the way you drink, you are going to become an alcoholic. Um, you know, because she had enough, uh, she went to Al-Anon and had enough experience with the programs and um, in and, and that kind of stuff with, you know, with all that. And so in, in 2000, she'd been on me because I was unhealthy. I, I was overweight. I was drinking too much. And so she'd constantly be on, been on me like her last year of her life. Like, will you go get a physical? Like, you need to go get your health checked up on. And, and you know, and I, I kept blowing it off. And so 2008 comes along and, and, you know, I'm living with my dad at this point in time. You know, I'd moved back in with my mom uh, and dad when my mom's cancer came back in 2003. Uh, just to help out, you know, I say to help out is because I was drinking too much and spending too much money and I was homeless and I, and I, and I wanted to look altruistic and say I'm moving home to help my mom. So that's, <laughs> that's rigorous honesty. Um, but I, I, I did help out a lot. Um, 
but you know it was super convenient not to pay in you know rent and <laughs> at, sure, as a, as a 24 year old um so so my dad came up to me and he's like you know your mom was on you about getting a physical Will you you know you, you at least go do it for me you know and it's like man what a guilt trip and so i agreed to it and i went and got a physical and uh and the doctor comes in and and you know he's like well man how much do you drink you know, he, I just got my blood work done and all this stuff. And, you know, and I gave him an honest answer. I said, you know, a, a couple a week, you know, and he's like, oh, man, you know, he's thinking a couple drinks a week. I'm thinking a couple like fifths a week, a couple bottles a week. <laughs> and so he's like, well, uh, and legitimately, we need to ha- I'm ordering an MRI on your liver like for tomorrow. Uh, we need to get you in. There's something not right with your liver. Um, and so I go in get an MRI, drink that terrible barium stuff that you have to drink to go get an MRI and have an MRI done on my liver. This is 2008. Um, and the doctor comes in, he's like, well, there's a, there's a disease that causes cirrhosis in your liver that has nothing to do with drinking. And you need to go see a liver specialist. You're being honest about your drinking because you might have that. And, uh, and so he's like, you need to call this specialist before you leave this hospital. Here's the card give him a call, make sure you have an appointment before you leave this hospital. And I look at the card and, and I know, I know where I'm headed. I know what I'm doing deep down inside. Um, and as I'm walking out that hospital, I throw that card into the garbage, right into the trash can as I'm walking to my car. See, that's what an alcoholic does, Right. This doctor just said, your liver's messed up, man. You have pre-cirrhosis developing spots. You need to see the specialist. And I throw the specialist cards in the garbage and go keep drinking for another six years. That's what an alcoholic does. A normal person who drinks himself into that condition, that would be called a drinking problem. They would stop drinking and solve their problem. That's what a normal person would do. Someone with alcoholism doesn't do that. So like, those are like the linear factors. Like, you know, if, if you have sufficient evidence to quit drinking and you can just quit drinking, well, then you probably had a drinking problem and you solved it. If you have a drinking problem and you can't solve that problem, well, there might be a chance that you suffer from a real illness that's not understood very well called alcoholism. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, and I, and I appreciate you sharing that. And I appreciate you talking to about depression and suicide, because I think too often as men, we don't get into the mental health aspect of things and how we self-medicate on things that probably aren't good for us to take away that pain, whether it is alcohol or drugs or sex or, or in my case too, it was sports, right? Like I, I use sports going back to this idea of having a hole in your heart, I use sports to fill it up. Oh yeah. I mean, that's, I mean, it can lead into, as, as we, as I kind of pay attention to the news back in Kansas city is like gambling is a, is a giant component to that sports aspect, you know, yeah, right. that's another horrible addiction that I've dealt with. And, 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 you know, I haven't gambled in over two years. I, I never, you know, I don't, you know, I don't have a problem with gambling because, I, but the thing is that, anything, I can have a problem with anything, you know, (laughs) anything. I'm serious. Like, yeah, I know I I get it. Like I can take anything to the stream. I ran a a 5k for 
465 straight days. I mean, I, I, like, yeah, I, I, I can take anything past the limit where it should be taken. That's, and that's, and that's why it's like alcohol has nothing to do with my alcoholism, right? My alcoholism right. is solely has to do with my thinking. It's mm. a, it, it, my alcoholism centers in my mind. The alcohol is, is just a symptom of my illness. And if I'm not careful, that alcoholism will spurn off into different directions and I'll take, you know, I'll, I'll hurt myself doing things that when, when I'm looking to fill that hole up, you know, it's a God sized hole and there's only God can fill it, you know? And so yeah. I've, I've learned that, you know, the hard way, even in sobriety, um, you know, because I'm not, I'm a human being. I'm not <laughs> just because I stopped drinking. My problems didn't just <laughs> didn't go away. Well, you know? Well, yeah, sure. And I, I think that all, I think that's a common misconception when it comes when people talk about God is that they think all, all of a sudden you snap your fingers and, you know, pixie dust comes falling from the sky and everything is just all rainbows and unicorns. And it's, it's not like that. <laughs> no, not if you got an ego. <laughs> no, well, I and mean, we're all, we're all human. So yes, right. that's, we, we um, fail miserably at that. Yeah. Yeah. But that's and, like, uh, you know, you got to have grace. You have to grace for yourself as you, yeah. you got to understand. And it's like, so where that growth happens is like, you know, catching yourself sooner, yeah. you know, and whatever it is, you know, whether, you know, it, it's, it's not letting things spin out. And then when, when you do catch yourself, it's, it's not beating yourself up. I, I mean, I'm kind of getting into an area right now. Um, and I, I talk about it a lot in my book, Samurai Soul. It's how, how vital it is. And I, and I don't use the word vital lightly. And I mean this, like how vital self-talk is. And we don't even know what we tell ourselves. But the reality yeah. is, is that our subconscious, it doesn't know the difference between true and false. It doesn't. It doesn't have a true false meter. All your subconscious does is believe what you tell it, right? So, and I, I was talking to a friend of mine just the other day about this, like the small things, even like, even when we do something small, you know, uh, in, in like spill something on ourselves and be like, oh man, I'm such a dummy. Well, guess what? Your subconscious is going to start believing that you're a dummy. So you have to be really careful of what you tell yourself internally what you're like there's there's so much power in the spoken word what we tell others about ourselves you know and it's like we will talk bad about ourselves without even knowing it like oh you can't believe the stupid thing i did the other day well you're saying you're stupid by saying that and that that's like and it's just habits it's just habits it's like changing our habits and you know and it, it's like instead of saying that you know I, I'm so stupid for doing this. It's, you know, you say something like, oh man, that stinks. I should do better next time. You know, it, sure. it, it, it's just like, just little hacks like that. Uh, uh, but like when we beat ourselves up constantly and we don't even know it, well then we're just, we're inside beating ourselves up and that's not what God wants for any of us. Well, no. And, and I think for me, you know, just in my experience that, um, and I, I, I was always that way before, you know, before I found God, I was constantly beating myself up. And I should say, I still, I, I don't constantly do it now. I, 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 I still do it. 
but it's, you know, who are you going to listen to? Are you going to listen to that, that enemy that's putting a voice in your head, which is oftentimes yourself, or are you going to believe what God says you are? And that's, you know, that's what I have to, um, you know, tell myself. It's like, I'm not, I'm not this alpha person who, who I think I am. I got this identity in God now. And I was just listening to an online sermon a couple of weeks ago, which I, and I, I love this point, which I think is super interesting and kind of goes with what we're talking about is it's like anything when, when God is working in your life or when God is getting ready to deliver a breakthrough for you, that's when the distractions, that's when the voices in your head are the loudest because it's trying to drown out what God is calling you to do. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah, absolutely. It is. I mean, but that's like, but we can change those habits. So that's where it goes to catching yourself quicker and then just getting out of those habits where you just, you know, um, I read the other day, I don't know. I want to say it was out of the book atomic habits, but I'm not positive. It's book by James clear. It's a great book. Um, but I don't know if he was talking about this or I was listening to somebody talk about, it, but it, to create a habit, you have to do something for 28 days in a row for it to become a habit. That's how long it takes to create new neuron paths in your brain. So, and that's good or bad. So if you want to create a new habit, do something for 28 days in a row and it will become a habit. And, and, and you know, it, it works the other way. If you're eating junk food for 28 yeah. days in a row, that's a new habit. And that you just formed a new, you know, a new path in your brain that that's, I mean, and it's like our brains are just computers. They're going to do what we tell them to do, right? And it's like, I have a philosophy that I'm a three-part entity, right? I'm a body, which I have a profound respect for today um, because for a large portion of my life, I was trying to kill this body. And this body gave my, my sick brain the big middle finger and saying, you're not going to, there's a soul that's sleeping inside of this body that needs to wake up. I'm not going to let you kill it right? I'm not going to let you do that. I'm going to stay alive. Go ahead, eat to 374. Go ahead, become a full alcoholic. You're not getting rid of me because this soul has a purpose on this planet and I'm going to stay alive long enough for it to wake up. And that's what it did. And so I have a profound respect every day because this body is not mine. It's just a carrier of my mind and my soul, right? But I have a profound respect today to take the best care of this body that I possibly can because this body kept this soul alive so I could wake up. Right. Um, yeah. and so, and so I, I, I'm very cognizant of, of how I treat it. And even to, to the extremes of, of what I put in it, I'm, I'm pretty, uh, vigilant of my diet these days. And, and, you know, um, and so the three parts are my mind, my body and my soul, you know, and it's like, for my whole life until I was 34 years old or I had my spiritual awakening or whatever you'd like to call it, it's like me getting sober. Um, my mind was driving, my body was in shotgun and my soul was sleeping in the backseat, those three entities. And my mind was driving into light poles, running into bridge embankments, just out of control, right? And then finally, my soul woke up, grabbed my mind out of the driver's seat, threw it in the back seat, took the steering wheel, looked at my body, and my body said, thank God, you're here, you're driving now, I'm riding shotgun. And then we told my, my mind in the back seat, hey, you stay back there, you're very important, you're part of us, we need you, but you are no longer in control. 
right? You're going to, you're going to do what you need to do, which are, you know, the, the basic things, wake up, brush your teeth, you know, you know, you know, take a shower when I need to take a shower, eat food when I need to eat food, you know, the, the, the basic things that my mind was put here to do, but I, I, I control my mind today, right? You know, right. It, 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 that's, that's the reality is that my mind, I love it. And, and Ram Das says, you know, the mind is a lousy master, but it is a wonderful servant. I'm sitting here, I'm looking at my bookshelf and there's, a, I'm looking at this book title, winning the war in your mind. Yeah. You know, and, and that's, and for me, like, like, that's what I keep thinking about is, you know, when you, and, and I've said this before to Ben, like when, when you, you know, when you want to get your body healthy, you, you eat better food, right? You stop eating the, the junk food, the chips, cookies, that kind of thing. And you eat what is considered healthy for you. But I, I just feel like we don't ever talk about how do you get your mind healthy? What are you putting into your mind in thinking about, cause I, I think there are, um, <laughs> there's a lot of junk food that we put into our heads every day, whether it's binging on Netflix, cable TV, watching too much cable news, no matter what channel you're watching, sitting on social media all day. I, I, there's a lot of junk food we feed ourselves. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, but yeah. it goes hand in hand with what you're putting in your body. I mean, sure. it, I, I truly believe that like what you're consuming for your nourishment, you know, it, 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 that's like our brains are chemical factories. That's all they do. They just create chemicals and what we put in our body, what we consume mentally, physically, you know, that, that corresponds with our overall holiness, you know, whole being holiness, right? And, 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 you know, that what we consume, but also it's like, we've been trained to not think for ourselves. Like it's, it's not easy to, to, to get rid of that stuff. That stuff is shoved in our faces left and right. And that's where habits become so discipline and habits become so important. Um, because, you know, the fact of the matter is that right now in the world that we live in, it's run by the almighty dollar and corporations do not want you thinking for yourself. They want to think for you. They want you to, to buy their products. They want you to consume their media. They want you to, to course, they, they want you to do what they want you to do and they want your dollar. And that's the sad thing. Um, you know, and I, I, I will not talk about politics. I will not go down that road or, or any of that stuff. There's just no need for it. But I will say is that we are, it, it's a battle, a daily battle. Um, and you got to be vigilant. And, and to your point is that we have to, what we consume, what are your habits? Like, what are your attachments? Like, what, like, what are you attached to in terms of what you're consuming? Right. And it, it's, that's, that goes into our mental well-being, and you know, and to answer your questions, like what can you do about that? You know, um, I know that you've talked about it, and, and like I see a therapist regularly, every yes. three weeks. I see, I see a therapist. I have for the last six years. I see a therapist every three weeks, and, and I don't have any shame saying that's part of my overall well-being. That's maintenance of my mental health because I, I you know, it, it, it's not cheap. But it's it, it's it's an investment in my well-being, you know. And, and it's like, you know, I, there's 
there's things that I have to deal with, you know, like I have to exercise or I get depressed. That's, that yes. is a, you know, yes. I, I exercise every day. I move my body in some form of way because that's the way I've found best to combat my depression. Um, you know, and, and, and so it's like these, these things that I, there today, I call them non-negotiables. They're not, I do not negotiate with my terrorist mind. It's not a negotiation. <laughs> yeah. I wake up and I know these things are happening. So it's like, even no matter how much my body and mind want to tell me, oh man, it'd be just better to do this. I've gotten to a point in time in my life. I've created the right habits, but I've been doing this long enough that I, I don't, it's, it's not even a discussion really anymore. And I'll, and I'll, and, and, and I'll preach this all day long. And this is the most vital part of my day. It's the first thing I do when I wake up every day. I take about an hour out of my morning um, and I've been doing this. I can't tell you the last day that I didn't do this. It was probably 2016 or 17 um, because it's just not an, it's not a negotiable. Like, and it's like um, people like, uh, especially when I used to w wake up at, at, you know, our radio show went on at 6 a.m., right? Right. And, and, and so I had to be at the studios around 4.30 so for me to get an hour of practice in, and, and what I'm about to tell you, like, this is my biggest non-negotiable, right? It, it's, it, I call it my morning practice. And what it includes is setting my daily intentions. I have uh, a, a bunch of set prayers that I say and, and books I read out of that are spiritual and in, in, in nature. Uh, and then I sit quietly in silence and, and, and quiet my mind. And so it's intentions, prayers, and meditation. And it's not negotiable. I have to do that to have any chance going into this world. I have to do that. Because what I've found is that after I do that for an hour, I am content with my life, where I am at. I am content. And so how I parlay that is I've never, you know, everybody wants, like, I can't stand it. And I, and I don't ever, I don't, I try to be really polite about it. And I don't correct people that I don't know, but it, it, it is a pet peeve of mine that people that say things like, I just want to be happy. BS, man. Happiness is not a state of being. It is an emotion that we experience. That's so right. you can, you cannot be happy. What you can be is you can be content. That's a state of being. What I've learned is that I've never experienced the emotion of happiness until I was first content. I've never jumped from being really angry to being happy. That jump doesn't happen. That gap is too big. But I've, I know I've been angry or upset and then gone to a place of contentment. And then I've opened that door up and it doesn't happen every day. It doesn't happen all the time to that happiness, to experience that emotion of happiness. But I do know if I'm not content first, there is no chance that I'm going to experience happiness in that day. So to even have a chance in this world, I have to get myself to a place of contentment, right? It's like the biggest uh, measurement of, uh, of my spiritual fitness is being in a car, right? <laughs> yeah. I yes. mean, that's, that's the For biggest sure. measurement. Right. Because if I'm driving down the road and somebody cuts me off and I'm just like, all right, yeah, go ahead and merge in. Maybe you didn't see me. Maybe you're, you know, or if my reaction is to flip them off and, and yell at a bunch of obscenities at them, I know there's something wrong with me. 
I know that I'm not, I'm not doing very well that day. My spiritual fitness isn't very, very high. You know, it's, it's, it's funny you say that because I have gone over the past two years from being the ultra driver in the left-hand lane to now I am driving in the very far right lane, minding my business. Yeah, man. It's the exact same way. I'll tell you for, for a large portion of my life, you know, until I got sober, I was an angry, bitter dude. Yeah. I mean, like we didn't have a problem. Like you would get along with me if you saw me in public, I'd be cordial. I'd be nice until we disagreed and I'm a loud dude. And so my, my game was, it didn't matter if I was right or wrong, right? I could be louder than you. Yeah, obnoxiously loud. Um, and and yeah. so it's like, that's how I live my life. And it was honestly, it's like, it, it, it all goes back to, you know, what I think is the converse of the most powerful emotion on the positive side, right? That we experience is love. That's, that's the, the, the end all be all. That's the most powerful emotion that I've experienced on this planet earth is love, right? That's on, that's on the positive side. And what I think is on the converse of that on the negative side, which I think it drives so much negativity in this world inside ourselves and in our, in our society as a whole is fear. I think that is the absolute converse. So really all I was, was a very scared dude who didn't want you to know that. Um, and it's like, now I have tools to walk through that fear, you know, that the acronym for fear, false evidence appearing real. Right. Um, yeah. I went and studied under a man named Frank Ostaseski. Uh, he wrote a brilliant book called The Five Invitations. I, I highly recommend it. it. It's a book about um, about dying. He, he Frank Ostaseski was um, he's one of the foremost authorities on on transitioning. And he started the uh, Zen Buddhist Hospice Project in San Francisco uh, during the AIDS pandemic and. Um, he runs an institute called the Meta Institute today. And, uh, and I went and, and did a workshop with him back in the fall of 2018. And he talked about, um, you know, line workers, you know, uh, I think it was in Wyoming. And what I mean by line workers are, 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 are power lines, guys that go out in these rural areas and they put up these massive power lines and, and how they train people is, um, when they're putting in, they're setting these power lines, they don't always set right, right? So occasionally when they are setting a power line and, and the crane pulls off it, it won't be set. And that giant power line is going to fall, right? And your initial reaction to that is to turn and run as fast as you can. But that's the absolutely wrong thing to do. That will get you killed. What they teach you as a line worker is that you run right towards the middle of that pole that's falling. And in that instance, you can see which direction that, that pole is going to fall and you can go the opposite way. But if you turn your back, you have no idea where that power line is going to fall, where that giant pole is going to fall. And there's a good chance it's going to fall right on you. So that's the exact same thing with fear. When we turn and run from it, it makes it worse and it can kill us. But when we look that fear right in the eye and we go right at it, we can, we can avoid it. We can, we can maneuver around it because it's never as bad as we think it's going to be. Now, I do want to clarify there are different types of fear, right? 
like there's fear that you shouldn't run from. And that's like, uh, you, you can't run from that's walking down an alley and someone pulls a gun out in your face and, and that's real fear. Or you're in an airplane and it's hurling towards the ground. That's real fear. <laughs> that's tangible fear. Yes. Uh, fear of going to a family event and what's my family going to think about me because I just got, I don't know, fired or divorced or, or whatever. That's fear. That's fake. That's made up in our heads. Right. And that's the fear that I'm talking about that you have to walk right towards because it's never as bad as we think it is. Never. Yeah. And I, I'm going to guess that, you know, when I sort of had my, uh, when I started revealing my, my faith journey to people, I had a strong fear about what the reaction was going to be. And it turned out it was a very irrational fear. Now, maybe there are people who were not telling me the truth to my face and behind my back, they're talking about me, whatever. But I think for the most part, my family, my friends, everyone supported the decision I made and the journey that I'm on. And I, I think it sounds like that's you've experienced some of that as well. Yeah, no, I mean, it's, <laughs> that's the, the funny thing is, um, I don't know if it's funny, but it's funny to me. So um, now I, I know exactly what you're talking about. Cause that was the first thing I thought about when I was, when I quit drinking and all my friends drink, I drank, everybody knew me as a drinker. Everybody had a lot of fun with me when I drank and you know, until I hit that, that blackout stage. And then I was no fun cause I couldn't barely talk or stand up. Um, but my first thought was like, what are people going to think? I'm not drinking. Um, and, and the reality of the world that we live in is that most people don't think about you. They're thinking about themselves. And that's, and so it's like, once I yeah. figured that out, like, you know, it, it, it's, if it's someone that cares about you and loves you, like they're just, they just really ultimately, you know, if it's, you know, if they really care about you, they just want you, you know, they just want you to be in a good spot to be healthy and experience happiness. Right. You know, however, that, however you figure that out, but it, we create these, these boundaries, these, these false walls that, you know, that, you know, people just, they think about us, but they don't think about us. Like we think they're thinking about us. You know what I mean? Right. For and sure. It's like, and, and, and I've, you know, and I hope you don't take offense to this, but this is just kind of what I've cultivated within myself today. And, you know, and, and unfortunately, Ben, I'm going to include you in on this and anybody who's listening. And, and I hope it doesn't sound, sound, calloused or rude and, and some people might construe it as that but that's okay but ultimately neil and ben like i don't care what you think about me yeah. i can't i can't i'm out of that business i spent too long <laughs> worrying about what other people think about me and like yes i only answer to two people that's me and god and so when i look at any actions that i'm taking in my life right and if I look at that action, I lay it over the set of principles that I try to live my life by and it, and it aligns with those. And I think that my higher power is okay with my actions in that instance. And I am okay with that action in that instance. Well, if you have a problem with that, I'm really sorry, but that's your problem, right? I, like, I, I can't care about what you think of me. It's not my business. Just like on the op opposite side, like, it's none of your business what I think about you. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's my business. You know, and if, if I'm in line with uh, my principles and my God, then 
I'm okay with whatever anybody wants. If people want to think I'm a bad person, that's, that's their business. They get that. That's their opinion. They get to have that. Right. But I can't also go around living like an a-hole and hurting a bunch of people and saying, well, if you don't like me, that's your problem. Right. Cause that's out of alignment with my integrity. And I'm going to eventually get really uncomfortable and not like myself because yeah. I know like we all have a guidance system. Right. And it's, it's in us at a young age. Right. We know intimately as human nature, the difference between good or bad because of how we feel. Right. When I do something good for somebody, I feel good. And when I do something to harm somebody, I genuinely, I probably feel bad when I sit down and look at that, right? And what I've acquired today is a, a, is a toolbox to look at these actions. And when I do something to hurt somebody, I go and I clean it up. I go and I, I don't go and I say, I'm sorry, because I'm, I'm done with that word. I go and I tell them, hey, Neil, what I said to you yesterday, man, when I sat back and looked at it, I was wrong. I was wrong to say it. And I was wrong to say it in that manner. How can I make that right to you, man? You know, I clean yeah. it up. <laughs> I love it. And, but you're right. I mean, I think you get to a certain point, you, you just have to stop worrying what people think. And especially for people who, you know, we, we are pretty outspoken. Gosh, I don't know how outspoken technically we are, but, you know, I feel like I'm screaming into the void of nothing sometimes, but you know, putting yourself out there and, and talking about these things, you know, yeah, you're, you just, it is as long as it's what you believe and what you feel and, and you are, you have your act, the actions that back up the words, which is so important, then, Hey, go for it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and Jake, to go back to what you said about back or what Neil said, I guess, but Jake, you said it in a different way, backing up those words with actions Part of the reason, and this kind of goes into the whole story of how this whole show happened, for a long time I was hesitant to work on uh, more spiritual or religious-based shows because so many people that are religious don't back up their words with actions, but Neil's one that does, and that's the reason I'm here. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's, I mean, it, it, people aren't stupid. <laughs> I mean, that, and, and generally, you know, you you know the way you feel when somebody's being honest and when somebody's not being honest, you know, sometimes we get tricked. Sure. But ultimately like, you know, if somebody's words and actions don't align, you're going to, you're going to figure that out rather quickly. And that's why I was so hesitant because this wasn't the first show that was of this type that I got offered to work on, but I said no to everybody else, but I didn't say no to Neil. Like, you know, that should tell you something, not only about Neil's character, but about, how I'm not going to go with somebody who I think has given me a load of crap. Yeah. Your intuition, man, your guidance system, you listen to your, your innermost self, um, you know, and that's, that's, I believe that, you know, whatever entity you believe put you here, your creator or whatever, you know, source energy. Uh, I, I believe that, you know, I'm just a spark of that entity. Like I believe God is, I can't even conceive what God is, right? It's just, my brain is not big enough or powerful enough to conceive truly the powers of God. But what I do believe is that God put a spark in me. I call that my soul, my God spark. And it's a direct connection to that higher power. And it's just a tiny little spark of that power, right? And within that power lies everything that you need to know. 
everything that you need to know is inside that spark there you know you can go read all the books you want you can go watch all the all the documentaries all the things but you know all you need to know it lies within you and it's that connection it, and, and that's why like i have to get in alignment with that because i look my ego jerks the wheel right back over and it wants to start doing what jake wants to do right like i can't conceive like so every morning and part of my part of my practices i have a saying right this is the first thing i say i say it out loud i sit down on my pillow and and, and i sit in a lotus position and i say this out loud and i say source energy my creator god open up my mind open up my heart reach in and touch my soul so i can be of maximum service to you god and to the men women and children i go about today right that's my purpose that ultimately to circle all the way back neil to your first question of <laughs> of, of how, why i left yes. whb right is because i don't feel like i was serving my purpose to the highest magnitude by doing what i was doing I don't, yeah. that, that's my purpose. Right. And I don't, I don't go out and I don't do that. Right. It's impossible to do that. Um, because I'm not a human doing right. I'm a human being. And so I have to go out and I have to be that. I have to be that with my actions. I have to be that with my thoughts and I have to be that with my words. I have to be that. I have to emulate that through my actions. That's how I be that. I have to be that purpose. Right? I don't do that purpose. I can go try to do it and it's not going to last very long, but I have to go out and I have to be it. I have to be an example of that. Well, and I think this is a great transition because there was one question I want to make sure that I ask before, um, before we let you go. And, and this, this goes back, back to the hot mic episode. And I remember as you were closing that out, uh, you talked about, you got, and we're recording this show by the time the show airs, it'll be after June 1st. But you said you had a place to live in Colorado until June 1st. What, is, what happens after June 1st? What does that look like for you moving forward? Have you um, figured it out yet? No, I'm, I'm still, <laughs> I'm, I'm constantly looking. It's been like the biggest project for me on a daily basis. I'm trying to find something. I, I'm looking to stay in the Colorado area. Um, and uh, so right now I'm looking for something a little bit longer term lease. The reality is the area that I'm in, most of them are vacation rentals and, uh, and people get a lot of money during the summertime out here. Um, but, uh, you know, I have a saying, and it's, it's from my fellowship, it, it's all men of faith have courage. Um, so I don't think I'm out here by accident. I know God has, you know, <laughs> I, I might have said this on the podcast, I might have not, I don't remember, but I, I know that I'm very fortunate in making, in making this statement, because this, this isn't the case for everybody, but it is, this is the case for me today at 42 years. Um, I've never known a day without clean water. I've never known a day without food. Um, I, when I chose, right, I've never known a day without shelter over my head. And there are some, some nights I fell asleep on the streets. Savannah, Georgia, police waking me up one night is another story for another time. Um, but when I've chosen, I've never, I've never had those essential entities that I need as a human being. Uh, clothes on my back, food water, shelter. Um, so I have a feeling that just all of a sudden, uh, that's just going to go away and that's going to stop happening. 
So, um, but within that structure, um, God helps those that help themselves. So I'm, I'm doing the legwork um, and I'm trying to figure that out. Um, I don't have a place yet, but I, I've been looking uh, quite thoroughly and I know that I'll find something. Um, but in, in, in the short term, I'm, I'm planning on staying in the, in the Colorado area. Um, you know, uh, the book should be out. Uh, not positive on a date yet. I do have the website up and, um, and if you want to go check that out, it's samuraiofsoul.com. Check that out. There's a place you can go reserve your copy. Uh, the first 500 reservations are going to get an autographed copy, a limited edition uh, autographed copy and a, uh, a limited edition NFT. Um, for those who know what those are, I, I'm not, not about to go into it, but um, yeah, for the first 500 people that go reserve a book, um, you know, those, are, those would be uh, some kind of uh, incentives to go check out the website. Uh, there's a little bio. Um, I'm, I'll be starting a blog on there soon. Um, I have a podcast that myself uh, I'm creating and um, it's called go within you. Um, so that that's something that is in the near future that I'll be doing on a weekly basis. And uh, Neil, uh, I, I hope you would be able to return the favor and jump on there once I get that flowing. Oh man, I would be humbled to to do that and and talk with you some I'll, more. Um, I'll hold you to that. You promote yes. your book on that, and um, and we can have some more. Uh, we can maybe go in a different direction, change seats, and uh, I'll be the one asking you the questions this I time. Love it, yeah, but yeah. So you those, know, and, those are some of the things that I got going right now, um, and, and it's uh, it's all really positive stuff. Uh, eventually, I, I I'd like to obviously with my my background in sports, I have a uh, kind of a hang up with the word coach. So, uh, I don't call it, I, I don't call it coaching. Um, but I'm going to go into some personal wellness guidance. Um, you know, what I, what I believe is that everything in my life today that has happened to me has happened for a reason. And, um, uh, fortunately God has put me through a lot of crucibles and, uh, and, and I've survived them, uh, miraculously through his power. Um, but what I, what I also, um, have learned is that I've created templates by doing that, right? These templates, they're rough, they're rough templates. And, and what I believe is that I, I had to learn the hard way. A lot of people tried to help me a lot of people in different aspects, uh, in weight loss and nutrition and my, my drinking and drug use and, and just my overall mental health. A lot of people tried to help me and they were very unsuccessful. Um, so what I've learned is that uh, I was the only one that could help me, right? I, I had to do it. And so what I've learned through that uh, construct is that I, God did not bless me with the ability to help other people. He just didn't. Um, and I don't think he does very many people. But what he did give me are these experiences and the ability to communicate. And what I can do is I can share these templates that I've created and I can help people help themselves. That's what I truly believe I can do. Um, and then the goal within that is pay it forward. So, you know, it's kind of like people ask me, what's this book about Samurai of Soul, right? And, and I tell them it's about finding your innermost self through living a principled life, right? And, and it's done through a lot of unprincipled living that I did. 
right? You don't know what you want till you know what you don't want. And so that's what my book's about. But also the reason uh, I, I, I really, I started this book in 2017 and it got really got nowhere with it. Uh, and then whatever happened, happened in 2020 at the beginning of 2020. Uh, and I started seeing a lot of people who I care about, who are close to me and, and, and even acquaintances of mine, um, really struggling with a lot of different things. Um, and these were people that are educated, have families that, that in my mind, going into that situation prior to that timeline, had their stuff together. And they were coming to me, asking me what I was doing. Like, how is this not affecting you? Why, why are you not affected? Why, I, I, like, it's, it's crushing me over here. What, what, why is it not affecting you? And so I was like, why are all these people, of all people coming to me and asking? And that's kind of when the shift happened. And that's when this book stopped being Jake's book and it started being God's book. Um, because ultimately that's what I had to understand is that, and once I made that shift, man, things just started falling in place. Uh, and this book really started coming to life because it stopped being about me. Look, I, I'm, I'm not writing this book to make any money. It's not going to be on, on the New York times bestseller list. Um, well, I don't know. I shouldn't. You got to hey, but, you're gonna you're gonna have a head start versus me because nobody ever heard of me, and there's at least a few people in Kansas City who knew who knew uh, you are. I can't preach about being careful with my words and then say things like that. So <laughs> I don't know what this book has in for it. I know that I I'm not doing this for monetary gain. Yeah, of course. I um I'm doing it. It's simply this is my goal. This was my goal once I made that shift and it became God's book. Is that if I can write this book and I put it out there and it helps one person help themselves. And then in turn, that person goes and helps somebody else help themselves. Well, then I'm, I'm good. I'm a mission accomplished, great success in my opinion. And so that's, that's kind of like, you know, that's, that's where I'm at. Um, that's what I got going on. And, and so samurai of soul.com, check it out. Uh, go get, reserve your copy. Um, but what's next? I don't know. I like I said, I, I'd like to go into some personal guidance, doing some one on one talking, helping people What with, you know, it, it's kind of like what I want people to see is that, you know, uh, like Neil, you know, you've talked about your struggles in <clears throat> in previous episodes of of Unmasked. And mm -hmm. that's just one aspect. Right. And like I've dealt with that aspect, too. But I've also dealt with uh, being 374 pounds, uh, losing both of my parents at 31, reversing type 2 diabetes, dealing with suicide and depression, being a, a recovered alcoholic. And so my, my message is, if you're just dealing with one of these things, there's so much hope for you. <laughs> because look at all this crap that, that I did. And look at everything that I've been through. And I'm here. I'm, I, you know, I have a lot of joy in my life. Is it perfect? Absolutely not. But what I've come to understand today in my life is that I'm going to make mistakes. I need mistakes. Mistakes are absolutely necessary for me today in my life. I, ha I have to do them. I have to have them. That's where I find my most growth. And so my message to people is like, if you're just dealing with one of these things, well, you, you can do it. You can, you can conquer it. No doubt you can do it. I'm not going to do it for you, but you can look at, look at all this, this, these things that, that I've dealt with. And I am 
I'm here standing whole, you know, by the grace of God. And so that's kind of like, you know, that's the message. I love it, Jake. I mean, like, and, and I can tell like when, when you walk away from a job, like the one that you had that many people would look at and think it's, this is an ultimate job. Why would you ever walk away from it? But to be able to walk away from it. And that's how I, that's how I know it's real for you. And that you apps, you believe in what you're doing. And, and I absolutely believe this when, and, and I love what you said about that. Your book isn't, it's, it's not a book about you. It's, it's, it's God's book. Like, I believe when you follow what God is calling you to do and you take those steps in faith, it will absolutely bless you. And, and that I, that is happening. I can see it happening to you. I know what's happened to me. And I just, I, I love your story. I love your encouragement. I love the joy that you have. And I've just been blown away by getting a chance to talk to you. So just thank you so much for, for sharing your journey. And we'll definitely uh, be checking out the book when it comes out. Yeah, man. Anytime you want me on, you know, I just want one last thing kind of sparked a, a, a yeah. thought for me that you just closed there with. And, and this can be our final thought because I know we're probably going a little long <laughs> on, okay, on your guys' time. But it's like, the, the longer I would have stayed there at WHB, and I, I don't want this to be construed in any, any wrong way, but I know that like, I, I shared with you and Ben, I shared you my stated purpose on a daily basis, right? Yeah. And, and, if I want, and if I want to do that to my, my best ability, right? The longer I didn't do this, the more out of a line with my own integrity I would have gotten. Does that make sense? Yes. hundred percent. Like, like, and so it's like, I, yeah, I had, I, it still sucks. It hurts that I had to walk away from that job, but I know that it would have hurt way more if I would have waited longer, it would have hurt way more. And then I, like I said, I'm not someone who lives with regrets. Like, and so I have to take that risk. I have to step into that fear because there, man, it, <laughs> there's a lot of fear doing that. And there still is, you know, but it's like, like I was saying, it's like, it's false evidence appearing real because I know that when I'm connected to my higher power, there's, I am boundless. I am absolutely boundless. There's nothing that I can't do when I'm living in integrity with myself in integrity with, with what I think God's will is for me, I'm untouchable. Jake, I, I, I love your story. I think you're going to help a lot of people, more than one person. I think you're going to help uh, quite a few people with, with um, your story and with this template for how to, to turn your life around and, and break free from those things that are holding you down. So uh, Jake Gutierrez, thank you again so much for coming on. Absolutely. Neil, thanks so much for having you on. Ben, you do great work. I appreciate your time as well, man. Uh, thanks again to Jake for coming on it and sharing his story in his hut in Colorado or wherever he might be in the mountains. And like, to me, like this was, and I, I mentioned this during the show, like I just found Jake, I, I followed him for so long and just randomly messaged him on Twitter. And after I heard his interview with Stephen St. John and why he was leaving sports radio and, and going to, to, to sort of find what God has in store for him. And it's just like, I had to learn more. I had to know more. So I'm just so appreciative of, 
of Jake coming on and sharing his time and sharing his journey. He's got a book coming out that's going to talk about this. If you go to samuraiofsoul.com, we'll put a link to that in the show notes and you can pre-order the book. And I know we'll get Jake back on when the book comes out and have him talk to that. And I just, uh, I want to keep the conversation going with him because I just loved, I uh, love the conversation that we had and I hope you enjoyed it as well. And speaking of conversations, it's been a while, but I've actually been on another podcast myself. This one is called Shrewsworthy with, wait for it, Ben Shrewsbury. That's right. Ben is back in the podcast world. Ben and first guest of your new show was me. Well, and there's there was a reason for that. So for those of you that don't know, I'm sure some of my listeners from Two Marks and a Spark came over here. Um, in fact, I know a couple that did. And I wanted to start my new show with a lot of what the old show was. And you were one of our featured guests on the old show. And I was like, well, let's pick up where we left off and let's call Neil. And I was working with you anyway. We had a meeting that day anyway. So I was like, okay, I'm just going to ask him. And you were the first person to find out. So it was kind of fitting that you ended up being the first episode. Yeah. Yeah. It was awesome. I, I, I enjoy talking to you, Ben. How about that? Well, we do a lot of talking. We do. Between this show and my other one, I do a lot. Yeah, I know you, you talk about wanting to record the small the small chatter that we have in between recordings, but I'm I, I'm not sure that would be I'm not sure that'd be a good idea. Uh, for my entertainment it. exclusively, it would be hilarious. Yeah, that, that would be it. <laughs> well, um, so go yeah, go check out um, Shrewsworthy with Ben Shrewsbury. I'll I'll link it out on my social media. And again, I just uh, thanks I'll, again to Jake. Yeah, I'll be ahead. sure to include that in the show notes as well. Yes, for sure. And and thanks again to, to Jake Gutierrez for coming on and sharing his journey. I, I hope, he, hope he encouraged you and maybe you learned, learned a little bit more about why he left sports radio. And if you like the show, please share it, review it, pass it along to friends. And of course, you can always um, find more about me at neilgetslow.com. But uh, before we go, just want to leave you with this. Just remember that Jesus did not come to hang out with the saints and the righteous. No, he came to hang out with the sick and the sinners of the world, just like you and just like me. Have a great week, everybody. 